in the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts. Be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. St. Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, which is a, um, a collection of churches that were situated in the north central region of what we call today Turkey, Asia Minor. Uh, they were towns and villages of, of small groups of Christians, but they were in Hellenized communities. Um, they were Greek in culture. They spoke Koine Greek. They read Greek poets uh, like Homer, and, and they read uh, Plato and Aristotle if they could read. They, um, they worshipped before Paul came Greek gods like um, Aphrodite and Artemis, Apollos and Zeus. They were in all ways thoroughly Hellenized. They were... Greeks, even though they weren't in Greece, they were in what we, like I said, what we call Turkey. This was part of Alexander the Great's plan of Hellenization 300 years before the birth of Jesus. He thought the way to control the world was to spread your culture all over. And when everybody is encultured the same way, it's very easy to control them, and he was absolutely right. There was one little group that held out, one little group that would not be Hellenized. And they were the Jews living in, in what was later called Palestine, in Israel. They refused to be Hellenized, and because of that, suffered many kind of hardships. But they held out they did. Most of the world, though, capitulated. They went along with Alexander's program of Hellenization, became thoroughly Greek in all that they did. And so it was that when St. Paul comes, he sort of upturns the apple cart in northern Turkey in a different way, not in the typical Jewish way of saying there's a different way of living, but in a distinctly Christian way. There's a different way of going about doing life other than this Hellenized world. And so in some ways, it, it really brought this total reorientation to the people of the Galatian region. One of the things, of course, is that they had a new religion, one that would not sit down and play nicely with their old one. And so this uh, loyalty to Jesus would not go along with loyalty to Zeus and Aphrodite and so on. In the Greek world, you could have many gods. If you added a new one, you know, it's sort of like getting a new pair of socks. Your old socks didn't mind, you know. But here it mattered, you know. You could not just simply add on Jesus to other things. It was either faith in the God of the Bible or the Greek way of life, but you could not have both. Likewise, all the sort of entertainments that sort of went along when religion was so thoroughly entangled in the world, it, it, was, it was difficult even to go to the theater in the ancient Greek world without being enmeshed in Greek religion. And so Christians were often ostracized from that. And they often had to uh, give up Greek philosophies that usually said something like, life is completely futile, worthless, a waste of time, sort of stoicism, or... You know, live for the moment. Epicureanism. You know, let's, these are two ways of living. And Christianity said no. In fact, God has come to fix the problems of humanity. And so it was a completely different way of looking at life. Life in, in every aspect. So Paul comes, preaches the gospel. People believe. They join in this sort of counterculture community. And then he leaves them. He goes off, he has other things to do. He has other churches to plant, other regions to evangelize. And after he leaves, you perhaps heard me say, there were these people who came up from Jerusalem. They were Jewish and they were Christian. And they said, you know what? Paul kind of gave you half the story. 
He surely told you about Jesus, and he was right about that, but he hasn't told you about everything. Look, there's more to the Bible. We should teach you. And because these Galatian Christians were sort of new to the whole thing of Christianity, somebody brings out the Bible, it makes perfect sense. Oh, you're right. I see it. It's, it's right here. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. I, I can find these passages. You're right. And here's what they were saying. Listen, you want to be a Christian? It calls, it, you need faith in Jesus Christ. Got it. We believe in Jesus. But there are also a few other markers that you need to have. These markers single you out as members of the community. You know how being in the Greek community meant you go to the pantheon of gods, you go to the theater, you do those sort of... Well, in Christian culture, it's really a Jewish culture. So what you need to add to that are a few things that are really important. In particular, three things. The first one is you need to observe the calendar, the Jewish calendar. The second thing is you need to keep kosher. It matters what you eat. You know, there are certain things that are off limits. And the third thing is that all the men must be circumcised. This is ways that you would be marked out as members of the Christian community. Paul writes the letter to the Galatians because he finds this so offensive, this idea that you have to add to faith in Jesus. He finds it so offensive that he thinks it actually is undercutting the whole gospel story itself. The people from Jerusalem, of course, are saying, Listen, God told Abraham to be circumcised, so therefore everybody who wants to be part of the community of Abraham must be. God told Moses to keep the calendar, therefore everyone who wants to be part of the community of God must keep the calendar. God told Moses to keep kosher, how are you better than them? And Paul writes this letter, and in particular the second and the third chapters, and he comes right at this. And he says, you're missing a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. If you have your bulletin, would you look with me at page 6 for just a minute? Page 6 is Galatians 3.23, where the passage begins for today. And Paul, his argument is to, remember, it's to contra this idea that you have to add these particular identification markers in order to be part of the church. 3.23. If you had a pencil, you could even underline something right here. Now, before faith came, look, at. do you see that word before? Before faith. This is sort of like um, when you say, you know, before we had children, <laughs> we had used to do this sort of thing. Or, or before I got married, or before, you, you know, maybe before I had that accident, I could run the 40-yard dash. But now, you know, uh, I can't. <laughs> before faith came. Before. Paul is setting up a, a, a before and after sequence, isn't he? There is an event that's going to occur, he says. An event that is so radical, so so life-altering, so earth-shattering, that you're going to talk about before this and after this. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Remember the issue. Kosher, calendar, circumcision. These are the things. Before faith came, we were held under this. We were held Captive, You see this right there in 323? Held captive under the law. Imprisoned. Now that sounds very brutal, I think, don't you? Captive and imprisoned. I don't want to be captive or imprisoned anything. And I don't think that's really what Paul is saying. I think you could translate this a little bit differently. Before faith came, we were protected by the law. We were kept safe 
by certain restrictions. Uh, I heard the story one time about this um, schoolyard. There was this huge schoolyard, and it had this fence, this big fence all the way around it. And all the children would love to go play right up next to the fence. In fact, they wore a path all the way around the fence. You know, there's playground equipment in the center of the playground, and, and there's this path all the way around. And, and, and so some psychologist, Leo psychologist, comes along and says, Look, you're harming these children. You know, they're trying to get out. You know, you're, why don't you just remove the fence, and they can have all this extra space to play in. And so someone came along, thought that was a really good idea, and removed the fence. Do you know what happened to the children? They quit playing out. They all moved to the center of the playground. No longer would they play on the edges because they didn't feel safe any longer. And so they they would no longer use all the space that they had. In removing the fence, it actually harmed their sense of security. Paul's answer to the Galatians is, listen, before faith came, we had a guardian. In fact, in the next verse, uh, verse 24, so the law was our guardian. You see that? Guardian. If you had a pencil, you would underline that word too. <laughs> and our guardian. You're like, I want to bring a pencil next week. That's right. Pedagogos. <laughs> uh, this is, is where we get the word pedagogy or, or pedagogy. You know, this is um, what we use about someone who teaches. You know, piano pedagogy. You know, this is uh, how we teach someone to play a piano. But even that doesn't do real justice to the word that Paul uses. A pedagogos in, uh, in the first century was more like a nanny. It was, um, it was a servant, usually a male servant in this case, who would take young boys around to the places they were supposed to go. Rumor has it, if you tell a young boy that he has to go do something, he might find something else to do along the way. Okay? And so the families often hired a servant to make sure young boys got to school. But they got to their teachers on time. This is what a Pythagogos did. Paul said the law was our guardian. It took us by the hand and led us around from place to place. The, um, the people from Jerusalem say, you need faith in Jesus plus these other markers. Paul said, no, these other markers were themselves a guardian. They were meant to hold our hand to take us around. How? How does that work? Well, think about food. Kosher, Right? You kept a kosher diet as a daily reminder that God was the one who had to provide your food for you. And particularly if you could not eat certain foods that might have been in abundance and you were only supposed to eat certain foods that might be rare or difficult to find, what did you have to do? You had to trust in God to deliver your daily bread, your food. Lord, there are lots of shrimp around here, and we could really eat them, but we're not supposed to. And so, give us what we need to eat. The same way with the calendar. God is setting up these markers. Look what I've done in the past, pointing toward what I'm going to do in the future. So every time you kept a calendar observance, it was a reminder that God had been faithful in the past, and I promised that He's going to be faithful in the future. And circumcision... The children are out, so we'll keep this as PG-13 as we can. Okay, But this is a matter that God is going to deliver an heir. And a daily reminder to those male uh, members of the community that God keeps His promises. I'm going to deliver. Remember the promises to Abraham, the first one circumcised. God changed His name from Abram, which is like magnified or glorified father, to Abraham, father of many nations. 
and he changed his name. You're going to like this. When Abraham didn't have any children, you know? I mean, could you imagine being called father of nations and you didn't have a single child? I mean, how embarrassing must that have been, like at a cocktail party? Hi, my name's Abraham, father of many nations. Oh, tell us about your children. Yeah, we don't have any yet. And you're 95? We have plans. All these markers are meant to say, look, God keeps His promises. He does what He's supposed to do. He's going to do this. And so in Galatians, Paul was saying, listen to me. We needed all those. But now through faith in Jesus Christ, we no longer need them. This is a new day, a new way of living. And it's not just about coming into faith. It's about advancing in faith. And you don't have this in, in your bulletin, but the beginning of the chapter goes like this. O foolish Galatians... Anaeo in Greek, you non-thinking people. <laughs> I think we have harsher words in the English language, right? Don't be stupid, right? Oh, you stupid Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, you know the answer, right? It wasn't works of the law, it was hearing with faith. It's the latter. Okay. So he has another question. Having begun by the Spirit, listen to this, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The whole idea of perfection, of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ in our daily lives, ought to be central to our faith as Christians. It, we ought to want, strive, long to be more and more like God every day. Oh Lord, change me, transform me, make me new. Well, how do we do this? The same way we began. We begin by faith. We become saints by faith. That way and no other way, Paul says. The journey to perfection comes the same way. Alright, so what does this mean to us? What does all this mean to us? How does Paul's letter hit 21st century Christians living in Northeast Ohio? Well, first of all, it reminds us that faith is both the means of entrance into the church and the means by which we become more like Christ. Faith in Jesus' faithfulness is what gives me the confidence to stand in the presence of God right now. None of us, none of us, least of all this one right here, has any right to come before God. None of us, none of us says, you know, hey, God, you're getting quite a jewel when you found me, you know? And he says to us, I don't think so, you know, I've kept good records. Let's talk about April the 7th, 1982. You know, we can come before Almighty God only because of the faithfulness of Jesus. He died on the cross on our behalf, and that is the only thing that we have in Christ alone. This is our closing hymn today. My hope is found. He is my, my strength. He's the source of all my hope. He's the source on which I place my life. And He is the only one who can transform me into the kind of person He wants me to be. Second thing. It's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's for the whole world. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. 
I think Paul might even continue. I think this was a part of an ancient Christian confession before they were baptized. I think he might go on. There is neither rich nor poor. There is neither black nor white. There is neither uh, old or young. There, we are all one in Jesus Christ. All of us come to the cross on equal footing. None with more or less to, uh, to boast about. We all come as sinners standing before God. Therefore, we are compelled to go into the world in mission. We have some good news for the world. It's really good news that God loves all people. Third thing. I think that we should no longer strive for mediocrity in our spiritual lives. Good enough is not good enough. Yes, of course, God forgives us for our sins. Of course He does. Of course, we can only come to Christ by, by the merits of His shed blood. Of course, that's right. Of course, we're all going to fail in the future. You can write it down, you know. And you're like, oh, I know that one. Okay, it's going to come. But that's no excuse to live in the mediocre. He calls us to holiness. I, I love, Mother Teresa was interviewed. I, I have this great video of her. You should borrow it sometime. You have to find an old VHS to watch it in. But if you can, I'll loan it to you. And, and, and she's asked this question. This, this guy follows her around for like three years and videotapes her and makes this great documentary. And, and he says to her, he says, you know, some people say that when you die that you're going to be canonized as a saint. What do you think about that? She doesn't even hesitate. She says, what God has called me to, He has called you to. He calls us all to the exact same thing, holiness. That's what a saint is, someone who lives a holy life. God has called us all to holiness. Now, I'm not talking about some new form of legalism, my do's and don'ts and do you measure up. No, for heaven's sakes, that's absolutely opposite what Paul was saying. But he is saying that God pours out grace in our life that ought to come back as gratitude. And gratitude is how we reflect God's life back to Him. Imagine you gave me a gift. I don't know what it would be. Something really special to you. Let's say it was a little locket. You know, you gave me a little locket or a, a, a lapel pin or something like that. But it was really special to you. Very, very precious. It was, you know, your great-grandfather's and, you know, he died in the Civil War. I don't know. Something like that. It was really, really... And you gave it to me. I said, Joe... I want you to have this. By the way, if you have something that your grandfather wore and he died in the Civil War, <laughs> look me up. No, but you give it to me and you're like, I want you to have this. I really do. And, and I took it. And I threw it, you know, in the ashtray of my car or something like that. You would say, my, that was a precious gift. I gave you a precious gift. And that's what you did with it? You just tossed it in the ashtray of the car? Or what if I took that same gift and, and you know, I, I proudly wore it? Especially on, you know, special occasions, you know? I wore it to church on Easter or, you know, I, I wore it to these, these special invitation parties or, or something like that. And here I am with, with your gift that you gave me. You would see that and you would say, ah, he really likes that gift I gave him. How much more the life that God gives us in Jesus Christ? He gives us new life. How do we reflect back the gratitude that we have for that new life? By living in ways that brings honor and glory to God. You see, for Paul, faith is not some intellectual kind of activity. It's not saying, oh yeah, I, I, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. You know? I mean, after all, there had to be a God, there had to be whatever. 
It wasn't like that at all. It's an earth-shattering event that not only changes our moment, our day, it changes our entire life, and if we really believe it, it would turn the world upside down. That's what he thinks faith is. I happen to think he's right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.